You're listening to the Tapis Paranormal Talking Point Podcast, a show that discusses various aspects of the paranormal world, with paranormal news, ghost stories, interviews, and much more. And without further ado, let's get into some talking points. Hi guys, Scott here from Tepes Paranormal and welcome back to another episode of the Tepes Paranormal Talking Point Podcast. Today my guest is MJ Dixon. MJ is a paranormal investigator, psychic medium, television producer, television host, author and also runs paranormal conferences in both the United States and the United Kingdom. MJ was kind enough to join me for this interview and we spoke about a number of things, including the work she's done with both Paranormal Lockdown and Destination Fear, Sage Paracon, what it's like being a psychic medium and how her psychic mediumship works, as well as some of her favourite locations and investigations that she's been a part of. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy this interview with MJ. So, thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, so, can you start by telling me a little bit about yourself and about your paranormal beliefs? Oh my goodness, that's a broad question. Um, well, a bit about me. I was raised in Zimbabwe, South Africa and Greece and relocated to the UK, oh gosh, 13, 14 years ago. And that was to pursue the paranormal. I kind of got here backpacking and realized that in the UK, you can talk about all things spiritual and paranormal. Whereas in South Africa, it's completely taboo. You don't talk about it at all. And so I kind of got here and went, oh my God, I can be a weirdo. This is amazing. <laughs> um, and I've been investigating for over a decade. I'm a psychic medium and now an author, which is very scary. <laughs> and I have also worked in television. So I've done quite a few shows as well. Cool. So yeah, so I've got a few notes on that that I'll go over in a bit. Um, yeah. Just start with, obviously, you're a psychic medium. Could yes. you sort of talk about that a little bit, what that means, you know, for you and that sort of okay. thing? Sure. Well, I'm claircognizant, which basically means that I receive information as though it's my own memories, but I'm also clairaudient so I can hear them. Um, it's very rare that I actually see them, but I do occasionally. And it's worked out really well. I mean, I was raised to be very skeptical. So my father was a military man, very straight and narrow, and my mom is psychic medium as well. I'm fifth generation. So I was kind of away with the fairies. You know, I, I, I had best of both worlds. I was, you know, one foot in that side and one foot in this world. And then my logical brain's going, okay, you got to debunk it first. So it's been an interesting journey with regards to investigating because I can walk into a location and I can pick up on the hot spots where it's really active and I like to focus my investigation there using different experiments different tech and that's purely to prove to whoever is seeing it that I'm not going mad the voices that I'm hearing I can record <laughs> and um yeah it's it's been fun so far it's definitely been an interesting journey growing up as a medium cool so, obviously, on the psychic medium thing, I've recently started reading your book, um, and in the sort of very intro bit, I believe Richard talks about the Saley House and the experiment you did with that. Yes. That sounds <laughs> incredibly interesting and quite, obviously, different to what a lot of people do with that sort of thing. How Absolutely. This has been, like, the last year and a half of experiments that we've been doing. And I love working with Richard Estep. He is an incredible investigator and an even better author. I have a lot of time for Richard. Um, he basically called me up one day and went, hey, can you remote view? And I was like, I don't know, can I? Like, let's do it. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but we're going to give it a try. And he was at a haunted location, didn't tell me where he was going, didn't post it on social media or anything. And he called me up via Zoom with no video just audio so i couldn't get any clues as to where he was while he was walking around mm. and he just said well okay tune in tell me what you get and i got little snippets of it and he was like wow we're onto something here 
And so we kind of pursued that and it became clearer and clearer to the point where I was able to pinpoint the exact location in America, the exact house he was standing in. Uh, so it's been interesting, terrifying at times, yeah. but definitely one of the better research experiments that I've done over the years. Yeah, so obviously reading your book and reading the intro where he talks about that, um, it was like quite shocking as you go through to as he sort of describes the steps of it. It was like, hang on, how was that? You know, how is that possible? It actually got a lot more intense to the point where in the basement area, um, he had found photographs from a previous owner of the house where somebody had tried to conjure something and they had drawn all these symbols and things all over the basement floor, which has now been painted over. And you can't find those online. There's, there's no record of them. And he walked down into the basement and I was like, wait a second, I'm seeing something here. And I was like, wait, I need paper and a pen. I need to sketch this. Mm -hmm. And I kind of drew it out and I snapshotted it and sent it to him. And I was like, does this mean anything? And he was like, oh my God, <laughs> like that's scary. Um, so, you know, being able to, I worked another case with him that was on a serial killer farm. I had no idea where he was. Uh, he could have been in any state, in a, a hospital, in an asylum, in whatever. Yep. And I picked up straight away that he was on this farm where a couple of people, um, a father and son that were serial killers, had murdered 20-something people mm -hmm. or suspected of murdering over 20. And I was able to pick up very specific things that were in the police report that were not public knowledge. Um, described one of the vehicles that had been seen and where some of the bodies were buried. But what was interesting is the owner of the location was standing within close proximity to Richard. And I started picking up on personal family things that no one else knew, not even Richard. And I was, I was explaining it and she actually punched Richard. She was like, oh my God, and she punched him. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's been very weird. So I don't have a lot of, you know, experience talking to you. I've never, I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever actually met a medium before now. Okay. Um, what sort of, so do you, you know, get unexpected um, visions, readings, you know, however yeah. you describe it? Sometimes, yes. Um, when the other side wants you to know something, they will try and get information across to you in whatever way they can. So sometimes... They will use your own memories. And for instance, I will be speaking to someone and I will start seeing my dad working on classic cars because he used to love rebuilding them. And his name was John. And I'll pick it up that, oh, it's a name connection. So I'm like, hey, your dad, your name was John and worked on classic cars. And they're like, yeah. I'm like, okay. So they kind of use your memories to get information across, mm -hmm. or they will, as I say, I'm clear audience, so I can hear them. They'll just talk and tell me information. Um, you kind of build a picture. So all the little bits that you get, over time, you learn how to interpret them. In the beginning, I was like, why the hell are you showing me pink roses? I don't know what that means. Like, great, you like flowers. But now I know if I see somebody holding a bunch of pink roses, to me, that signifies that it's somebody's grandmother. It's like their symbol for grandmother. Okay. So they kind of find a way to work with you and the symbolism um, changes ever so slightly with each reading. But you kind of get the gist of it and you put the pieces together. Okay. Is it is you know is there a specific person that you speak to? Do you have a spirit guide that sort of thing, or is it just generally, you know, a wide it's, range of people? It's a bit of both. I definitely do have several guides that I work with, and they work with me with different things. So if I'm doing readings, that's one guide. If I'm doing remote viewing, I have another guide that steps in, which is quite weird because he's quite new. Um, but then if I'm doing a reading for somebody, my guide will be there. Generally, he's kind of like the the gatekeeper between 
whoever I'm reading for their spirits and, you know, how they pass the information across. Mm -hmm. And sort of a spiritual bodyguard. He kind of stands to the side and lets them talk. Um, otherwise, if they're struggling to get the message across, he'll be like, okay, this is what they're trying to say. Um, so it varies in different situations. And reading for people, as in sitting down and doing a reading, is vastly different from reading a location and trying to tap into who might be haunting the place and their story. And, you know, doing remote viewing, again, it's it's a completely different way of tuning into it. Okay, cool. So what would you say is the earliest memory of the paranormal that you have? Oh my gosh, I was four. And I very clearly remember, we lived in this huge farmhouse. And I very clearly remember walking down the corridor with this big bowl of popcorn and a salt shaker for my mom to put the salt on it, because I always put too much on, apparently. And she was doing laundry and she was carrying a whole bunch of laundry to the spare bedroom. And we kind of met at the doorway and I looked into the room. She looked into the bedroom and I went, mommy, who's that man? And she passed out. <laughs> I was like, oh, great. Something's wrong with mom. So I dropped the popcorn. It was just panic. And, you know, she came around and she was crying and she went, oh, no, not you too. And I was like, what? Huh? <laughs> I was like four. I didn't know any better, you know, so. I was just like, I'm going to go play video games with my brother now. Bye. <laughs> and I very clearly remember that. Only years later, when I thought about it, and I was like, oh, oh no, not you too. My mom had realized that the psychic gene was passed down. Mm -hmm. um, but I've had experiences, you know, from that. That was probably my very first vivid experience that I remember. I've had so many. It, there's too many to count. Ooh. So... Your website says that your house, you believe at the time, was haunted, you know, your childhood house. Yes. Do you have any sort of particular stories or particular spirits from that that you want to talk about? We did move around quite a bit when I was growing up with my dad being in the military mm. and that. So um, I later on found that, yes, it was one particular house and there was a particular spirit that haunted the place. But majority of the time, what I was picking up on was family. And it kind of moved with us from house to house and family can do that. So every now and again, you know, I'd have these experiences and it'd be my grandmother or it would be my uncle or it would be a close family friend or grandparent. My first house, I mean, I was I was too young to think of it back then that, you know, it was a gentleman that used to walk around the house. He didn't bug anyone or anything. I don't really know what his story was. I was far too young and I didn't know what to do with the mediumship. I didn't know how to tune in and get information. I wish I could actually go back to that house now and be like, hey, I'm here. What did you want to say? Cool. So obviously you've said that family were also affected by mediumship and obviously seeing spirits. Do you have any particular stories that friends, family, etc., have told you that they've experienced any sort of real standout ones? Yes, my mom actually moved house twice in three weeks because of a haunting. <laughs> so what happened was they'd moved into this house. Um, this was actually before I was born. This is this is my my mom's story that really stood out to me. Um, just before I was born. They had my older brother at that stage and they'd moved into this house within a couple of weeks. There were footsteps walking up and down the passageway, light switching on and off. And it didn't bug my mom. You know, nothing paranormal's ever phased her at all. But what she used to do when we were kids is she would take all the, the doorway keys and she'd carve a little groove into the, the door key and paint it with some nail varnish. So put a red stripe on the key and a red stripe on the door handle. As kids would know, that's the key for that yeah. door. And our passageway, the passageway door leading to the bedrooms, the key had gone missing. So my mom thought, you know, my brother probably lost it. He was playing with it or something. And it didn't bug her until the footsteps started going into her bedroom. And then she was like, wait a second, something's really wrong here. And the haunting got worse and worse and worse over a couple of weeks. So she went to the um, 
property owner and she said, listen, I can't live here. I need to find somewhere else. Do you have anything else in this area? And the guy said, you know what we do actually, we have a house sort of just across the street. So she was like, fine, don't care, I'll take it. My dad was at work. My mom packed up the whole house and moved without even telling him. He gets home, he's like, this is my house, it's empty. What the hell, what's going on? And they were like, oh, by the way, your wife moved. So when they were in the first house, my mom had found this really bizarre key that didn't fit any of the doorways. And she chucked it in her handbag. And she was like, oh, it's probably my dad's work key. You know, it'll find its home soon enough. Mm -hmm. Moved into the second house and they found the door key from the first house that went missing. What, in the second house? In the second house. And they, she took the key out of her handbag and it was the passage door key for the second house. So the keys had been swapped. Same thing happened. Footsteps up and down the passageway, light switching on and off, hearing people talking, etc., etc. She went back to the guy and she was like, listen, what the hell's going on with these houses? Well, it turned out that the gentleman from the one house and the lady from the other were having an affair. Her husband found out and shot both of them point blank with a shotgun. Okay, yeah. I could see why that would leave behind, you know, a sort of, I guess, Imprint. yeah, a relatively traumatic experience there would definitely leave yeah. something behind. So, I mean, those were the kind of stories that I grew up with, you know, that was, that was normal in my upbringing. Mm -hmm. That was like, oh, hey, you know, ghosts are swapping keys. Cool. All right. <laughs> yeah, see, I didn't have that sort of thing in my upbringing. So that's obviously quite a shocking thing. But I suppose, obviously, you're used to that. Yeah. I guess that became a sort of second nature for you, things like that, stories like that. Yep. And then, so what What sort of age would you say your medium sort of abilities became more, act, the most active? I was in my early 20s. Uh, I think I was around 22. And for years, my mum kept saying to me, like, let me teach you because it's going to kick in and you're not going to know what to do. And it's going to freak you out. And I was like, yeah, yeah, crazy lady. You're away with the fairies. Like, I don't want to do any of that, you know? Mm -hmm. I was intrigued by it. And I'd constantly read books about it and research until my little heart was content. I spent hours in libraries looking for anything occult, paranormal, anything I could get my hands on. I wanted to know more about it, but I was too afraid to develop my own abilities. And... There was an experience when I was 22. I woke up in the middle of the night with my uncle, who the figure that I'd seen on the bed when I was four uh, was actually my uncle had passed away and we got the news the next day and or a couple of days later. And um, the same uncle was stood at the end of the bed, crystal clear, and he was trying to tell me something and I freaked out like properly. I was hyperventilating. I had a full-blown asthma attack. I was crying. I was hysterical. And my poor fiance at the time was like, what the hell? I'm like, I don't know how to tell you this, but my dead uncle's standing at the end of the bed and he's trying to tell me something. And yeah, that's kind of what's going on. <laughs> and he calmed me down. About six in the morning, I walked out of the bedroom. We we're at my parents' house. And my mom came out of her room and she was like, wow, my girl, you look so tired. And I was like, yeah, I, I didn't I didn't sleep well. She's like, me neither. Your uncle came to visit me last night and he was trying to tell me something, but I couldn't quite hear him. And I was like, oh, <laughs> what is wrong with this family? <laughs> How is this normal? Like, what the hell? Um, and that was really the experience that I kind of went, oh, OK, that was clear. Mm -hmm. I I can't avoid this anymore. I have to pursue it. I need to know. I need to learn. And that really kick-started my journey into it. Cool. So, obviously, you're a very prominent name in the paranormal. Um, you've obviously been a part of a lot of investigations, a lot of projects that have been to a lot of locations around the world. You've done a lot of travelling yourself. Um, are there any locations that you've been to that you've felt a particular connection to? Oh my goodness, yes. <laughs> yes, that's like my favourite question. Um, Drakelow Tunnels in Kidderminster was one of them. I spent a lot of time in those tunnels. 
um, probably more than anyone should. <laughs> um, I I would go there during the day and have the whole place to myself and, you know, myself and my team. And we'd be there all night and do public investigations, do loads of private investigations. Uh, we locked ourselves in the tunnels for a week and filmed the series in there. <laughs> um, I've actually filmed a couple other TV shows at Drake Low. But there was one particular spirit. I nicknamed him the Music Man. On one investigation, I decided to play music through the, the tunnels, like blast it through the tunnels and see what happened. And I stopped the song and I carried on with the recording. And when we played it back, we had an EVP in this male voice saying, I like that. And it broke my heart. Like I got home and I was in tears. I was absolutely bawling my eyes out because I felt so bad for this guy stuck in these dark tunnels. He really loves music. And then he just, you know, when last did he get to listen to it? Yeah. And so I would take my guitar and I'd go to that crossroads in the tunnels and I'd sit there and I'd play a gig for him and have a chat with him. And he was really lovely. And so I I became very attached to the spirit. Mm -hmm. You know, people walk People warn each other about, oh, spirits get attached to you. <laughs> they don't tell the ghosts, so we get attached to them. <laughs> um, that was definitely one of my favorite locations. Bell Grove Plantation in King George, Virginia. I am in love with that place. It is my home away from home. It is a beautiful bed and breakfast. It's got all the southern charm, and it's just gorgeous. On the river, the, the views are incredible. And the spirits there are really lovely. So I've had great interactions there. I've had some scary moments there. <laughs> but I really just connected with the place and I love it. Budman Jail is another one. Um, I absolutely love it so much. I can spend a lot of time walking around that jail on my own. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, there's a few places. Definitely a few. Cool. So... Are there any locations that you've visited, or sorry, are there any locations that you know of that you haven't visited that um, you want to, that really draw you in? Absolutely. The Hinsdale House in New York, um, Dan's yeah. place. Mm -hmm. I really want to check that place out for myself. I've not had the opportunity yet. He's always invited me. I just, I never get there. Um, Crescent Sanitarium. You guys may have seen it on the new season of Destination Fear. It's episode one and two in the new season. Mm -hmm. It is massive. It's 20 buildings. It's just this huge, overgrown, falling apart sanitarium. And it's amazing. <laughs> Some friends of mine went a little while ago and there were like 10 of them that had the whole place. And I was so jealous. <laughs> Yeah, I think a sort of a location of that size is obviously it gives you so much to do. There's so much sort of, I guess, variety in the different buildings, the different sort of, I guess, the variety in spirits as well as you move from like building to building, depending on what they housed. I think um, a couple other locations in the States that I'd love to, well, one in the States that I'd love to do is Waverly Hill Sanitarium. Mm. That's a great location. And another one in Ireland, I produced the episode for Destination Fear, and that was Spike Island, just off Cork. And it is an incredible location with the most intense history. I mean, it goes back to 13th century with the monasteries and then becoming a prison. And so there's layers of residual energy as well. I put the whole episode together to send the guys there, and then I couldn't get there. And I was so frustrated. Yeah. Um, so obviously on your travels, have you met any particularly negative spirits? Have you had any particularly negative experiences at locations? Um, a couple. It's very rare that you actually run into anything very dark, you know, contrary to popular belief with today's TV shows where everything's hashtag it's a demon. Um, I have had a few negative encounters, mainly from spirits that just don't want to be bothered. You know, when you investigate a prison, for instance, you've got to realize that, especially being a female, walking through a prison ward where it was male, and these guys are in there for heinous crimes, I mean, rape, murder, 
serial killers and mm -hmm. the likes. And I'm just like plodding along through the place on my own. You know, you do get pushed, you get shoved. I've been slapped. I've had a bite mark. Um, so I've had some negative interactions. Not everybody you meet in this world is nice. Mm -hmm. And it's the same on that side. Okay. They're not malevolent as in dark and demonic. They're just a-holes. <laughs> cool. Have you ever had any sort of demonic interaction? I wouldn't say demonic, no. no. Um, I've learned a lot from John Zaffis, who is the mm -hmm. world's foremost demonologist, and I'm I'm very grateful. And I'm even more grateful that I've not had a run-in with something like that. Elementals, yes. Elementals tend to get confused for a demon because they're not human. They've never been human. They can come across quite playful and mischievous and if you don't know what you're dealing with you would see that as something malevolent that's trying to attack yeah. you or they're kind of poking the bear to get a reaction so i'm quite fortunate in that way i think the worst i've come across is a particular haunted object that i was given not that i wanted it they kind of walked up to me and went here you take this um i was like i don't want that <laughs> which i'm stuck with it now but it's probably the closest I've come to a really dark energy. It caused havoc in my house for quite some time. Cool. Okay. So moving on to your TV work and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, obviously, you worked on Paranormal Lockdown. The I did. The UK uh, season. I believe you were the location consultant. I was. I was basically the person they called up and went, hey, MJ, can you find us places to investigate? And I went, sure. Cool. <laughs> so, yeah, I put that together. So some of the places for that you had, or the one that sort of stands out to me the most, is uh, Newsham Park Hospital. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that location? I think Newsham's great. I think it's a really active location. I've seen some phenomenal footage from other teams that have investigated it. And I mean, we had some clips on Paranormal Captured as well when I did, I think it was season one. We had some clips from Newsham Park. Mm -hmm. oh, it could be season two, I can't remember. But, you know, there were some really interesting table tipping sessions that people had done. Don't knock it. There, there was some interesting research there. Not all of it, you know, real. Mm -hmm. There are people that fake it out there. But I have seen some things that is enough to make me go, hmm, I want to explore that more. And Newsham definitely offers a lot of strange phenomenon. Cool. Um, and then, obviously, Destination Fear, as you mentioned before, which you produced, I believe, two episodes for I them did. with that. And that was Spike Island and Loftus Hall. Loftus Hall, cool. yes. Um, so, again, two Irish locations there. Have they you... were actually supposed to come to England. Cool. <laughs> I was going to do the whole bunch of episodes here in England and uh, they didn't open our borders. So oh, I had course, to frantically yeah. change the episodes. So we literally switched from England to Ireland mm -hmm. and produced everything within like a week. <laughs> it was chaos. Do you, Can you, you know, say what locations you were considering in England for them for that? Unfortunately not, because that might still happen. Cool. Okay, no worries. <laughs> so, obviously, you've worked on a few other uh, TV projects as well. Do you want to talk about any of them a little bit? Are there any? Sure. Um, I worked on Most Terrifying Places. That was a super fun show to put together. So I did all the UK segments for that. And we told the stories from Budman Jail, Drake Low Tunnels, and Warwick Castle. Mm. I think that was it. <clears throat> I feel like there was one more, but I think it, mainly those three. And that was a, it was a good show. It was just people's experiences that they'd had. And we had to um, do all the reenactments and things as well. And actually filming in Drake Low Tunnels, we were telling the story of a psychic medium who was actually on an investigation at Drake Low with me. And I had warned her beforehand. I said to her, listen, <laughs> there's a spirit here that kind of gets a bit close. Like he likes to jump people. Make sure you're protected. Make sure you don't wander off on your own. And during the evening, her and a friend had wandered down one of the tunnels because they'd seen a figure and they followed it. And the spirit jumped her. She 
her legs just buckled. She she wasn't there. When she finally came round, she was in tears and it was a really traumatic experience. So we interviewed her in Drake Low Tunnels and we had actors acting as the ghost mm-hmm. and acting as her friend. And while we were filming it, the production assistant, he was like, MJ, do you mind if I take photos of the set? And I was like, yeah, sure. Just if you take photos, take three in a row in case there's something there, then you have control photo, mm-hmm. photos to back up. And he nudged me a few minutes later and he was like, hey, MJ, there's there's someone else in this photo, dude. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> sure. And there actually was. <laughs> okay. It's a full apparition. See, I'm, I'm yet to capture any sort of like full apparition or any apparition at all. So I've only had a couple of minor things while investigating myself. Um, have you had any experience in the ancient Ram Inn? I've never been. I've never done the ancient Ram Inn and I really, really want to. Um, I was due to go there just before Old Man Humphreys passed away. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, a lot of investigators came back to me and they said, you know, we think the activity was actually attached to him and not the location. It seemed to have quietened down quite a bit after that. I still want to do it, though. Yep. So I went with a group of friends last year. We did, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, an overnight investigation there, filmed a video for YouTube channel, that sort of thing. Um, And while there, we had a couple of weird things. But the one that really stands out as... I guess the most definitive thing for me that's happened is um, so there was a mirror. It was sort of the last sweep of the night we were doing before we left. And we were basically going around taking Polaroid pictures as we did like one last sweep. Um, There's a mirror at the bottom of some stairs, sort of on the other side of a bench with some bells in the way. And that had the word demon written on it. And it was sort of a, Okay, that must have been there all night and we missed, you know, we missed the word there that someone had yeah. just sort of, you know, written on it with their finger. So we went upstairs, walked around upstairs. I know for a fact that we all went up together. Nobody went near the mirror because we were mm-hmm. all on the other side of the bench looking at it downstairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we came back down about five, maybe ten minutes later and the word had been wiped off with fingerprints, you know, through the word. And you can see on video where it was clearly the word when we went up and gone when we came back. Um, wow. which, yeah, That was the point we sort of left because it was sort of a, okay, that's it. Now, we'd had a few things leading up to that point that had us on edge yeah. anyway, and that was like the final, you know, okay. the final straw. But yeah. Damn it, now I'm going to have to go. <laughs> yeah, it's, I think it's definitely worth going. It's still, okay. there, there's definitely still something there, I would say. Um, I don't necessarily know if the activity is as you know prevalent as it was previously when he was there okay we didn't have any experience as far as i'm aware with the incubus and succubus that's said to be there which mm-hmm. again at this point i think might have been attached to him yeah i think so which isn't a fun thing to have attached to you i would assume um but yeah so that's you know one of the weird experiences that i've had while investigating um that's really cool that's a cool experience yeah so and thankfully we got it on video so we you know we we looked back at it a few times we've sort of tried to analyze it tried to come up with any sort of logical conclusion and there's just nothing there's no way any of us could have got to it to you know wipe it off ourselves if somebody in the group decided they wanted to almost yeah. prank everybody else they'd physically have had to have like hurdled a couple of benches to do it which there's no way they could have done without yeah. being seen or heard by Beam. everyone else um, That's very cool. Yeah. So I want to talk about a few other sort of aspects of the paranormal that aren't necessarily ghosts. So what are your thoughts on Ouija boards? I love them. I love them so much. <laughs> so to me, a Ouija board is exactly the same as doing an EVP session mm-hmm. or a spirit box session. It is a tool you're using to establish communication with the other side you're still inviting them to speak it's not a piece of wood with some letters on or cardboard or whatever the case is that's like oh ah opening a portal to the demonic side you know people give Ouija boards a really bad rap but basically it was just one of the very first tools Mm -hmm. now we have spirit boxes and things instead it's exactly the same thing so it always makes me giggle when someone goes, oh my God, Ouija boards, I won't touch that, but I'll do an EVP session. Yeah. Same thing. Mm-hmm. You're just using a modern version. 
And I do a lot of work with the Talking Board Historical Society, um, TBHS. Yeah. And I definitely recommend anyone go on to the tbhs.org website, go and check them out. It's a charitable organization. And they, they've preserved the history of talking boards. And, you know, there's the, the Salem Witchboard Museum that's run by John Kozik in Salem. Yeah. It's phenomenal. So, it's great. Yeah. I love them. So just before Christmas, I did manage to sit down and do an interview with uh, Calvin Von Crush. Um, and we talked through obviously his collection uh, mm -hmm. and obviously had a relatively lengthy conversation about Ouija boards as a part of that and yeah I think just the negative press that Ouija boards get is obviously quite I guess bad for their obviously it means that people don't value them in the same way that they Absolutely. do other bits of paranormal equipment and other paranormal tools um but yeah no so i thought obviously ouija boards they're quite interesting and i've had a few weird things i've used one a couple of times now and okay. it's sort of a you know it always is weird that it moves and it just feels strange while it's happening mm -hmm. now one of the things that i love doing is i love blending old and new so whenever you do a ouija board session do evp alongside it ask them to say the letters into the recorder prior to using the planchette, mm -hmm. because that way you have some sort of a validation. You know, there is always the idiomotor effect. There's always some little bit of that, that subconsciously we could be moving it around. So try it blindfolded, get everybody blindfolded. Mm -hmm. there's, there's so many different things and so many different controls that you can put in yeah. place when using them. And just like we do when you when you're doing an EVP session or whatever, you want controls in place make sure there's no outside contamination, et cetera, et cetera. So you just do the same thing with your Ouija boards, but it's great running several different pieces of tech alongside it. Cool. Um, and obviously cryptids. What are your <gasps> thoughts on, you know, cryptids? I assume you believe in cryptids? I do. Um, I've had a run-in with a couple of really strange things, especially being a medium, I work a lot with elemental spirits. And it kind of goes hand in hand with witchcraft as well. And I've been a practicing witch for many, many years. So I've had a run in with some really strange things. I've come across some really bizarre, interesting creatures, shall I say. I've never seen things like Bigfoot, although mm -hmm. I really want to. Yeah. I have questions. <laughs> but I love things like Southern African cryptids because they're so different. Like, Growing up in South Africa and Zimbabwe, we had things like the Nyami Nyami, which is basically Zimbabwe's version of Nessie, mm -hmm. with some really cool legends and lore attached to it. Um, there's the Inkanyamba, which is based in Howick Falls, and it's said to be the serpent-like creature with the head of a horse, bizarrely. And Weird it's responsible for thunderstorms and, and bizarre weather in South Africa. Um, there's the Impundulu, the lightning bird. Uh, what up? The Tokoloshi is probably one of my favorites. It's a little, like, two foot tall, sort of a goblin that is very mischievous and he'll steal people's groceries or he will terrorize kids or there's loads of sighting and it's such a strong belief in the African culture. Mm -hmm. So if you Google some of the headlines about the Tokoloshi, newspaper headlines, you'll see things like the church captures the Tokoloshi or the Tokoloshi put a tracker in my bum. It was a great headline. It's one of my favorites. Um, the tw Tokoloshi twerked for my husband. That was another good one. Yeah, I don't know. We've got twerking cryptids. It's great. <laughs> see, I don't feel like we have that in the UK. I feel like no. our, ours are almost boring in comparison. You know, we've... <laughs> we've got some really interesting ones in Africa. Think... And the thing is, in Southern Africa, mm -hmm. well, South Africa, we actually have a supernatural task force as part of our police. So if you phone them and say, the Tokoloshi stole my beer, they have to send somebody out to investigate it. Anything to do with the occult, witchcraft, zombies, they will come out for vampires if you tell them there's a vampire trying to kill you. They will have to send somebody out. Cool. It's amazing i mean could you imagine like hey bigfoot stole my beer can you send somebody that'd be cool 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I could see that sort of thing being quite interesting. Um, it, that must be a fun job to have as well, right? The you know I'm actually, getting the call. I'm going to South Africa in forty six days, but who's counting? Um, I'm out there for three weeks doing some research on supernatural Africa, so I'm going to be getting into detail with things like the the hoodoo, voodoo, witchcraft. Mm-hmm. I'm actually going to go and see a Sangoma, a Southern African witch doctor. I'm also going to speak to some African mediums and how mediumship plays a role in their culture and discussing, you know, their belief systems and how they communicate with the afterlife. Because, like, we use tarot cards. They use bones. Okay. A little bit different. Yeah. You know, there are some really cool beliefs, and I, I want to find out more about their perspective on, on cryptids and African law and legends. Mm-hmm. So I'm... So excited. That's going to be research for my next book as well. Cool. Okay, so uh, a couple of other bits I want to talk about briefly. Uh, obviously, you're the founder of Sage Paranormal. Yes. Um, and as a part of that, obviously, you also have the Paracons. I do, yes. So in 2021, I think it was, January 2021, I attended the Sage Paracon at home that you did. Yeah. Uh, which was obviously a three day two yeah. day event three day it was a weekend live. <laughs> yeah um with obviously plenty of guest speakers different yeah. uh obviously various different things uh shows videos things like that and just generally a lot of fun um you also obviously host in-person paracons in both the uk and in the states mm-hmm. and this year i want to say you've got the uh UK one in Coombe We do. So it's the 26th to the 29th of October, mm-hmm. and we're at Coombe Abbey in Coventry. And if that's a four-day event. You can come for a day. You don't have to come for all four days. Uh, but we do, we do several different packages. So you can come for one day, two days, three days, or four. We do a paranormal investigation of Coombe Abbey. We have a three-course VIP dinner on the Friday mm-hmm. night with a full theater production that happens around you um so it's really fun it's dinner and a show and i haven't released the themes yet for this year so you'll need to keep an eye on the sage paracon page for those and saturday all day we have talks um we've got some phenomenal speakers coming over from the states and from the uk covering everything from mediumship cryptids uh, witchcraft, the occult. Uh, we've got Calvin and Jules yeah. coming over, bringing some of their museum pieces and talking about that. Um, oh my goodness. It literally covers anything under the umbrella of paranormal. Saturday night, we have a VIP party with very bad karaoke and great booty shaking dance moves. It's fantastic. And then Sunday again, we have talks all day. And Sunday night, we do a paranormal pub quiz for whoever's left. We have a, a bit of a drink and have a chat and get our teams together and do a pub quiz. Cool. So, um, yeah, obviously, you mentioned uh, Calvin and Jules, both of whom I have interviewed for uh, episodes of the podcast. And then I know you obviously work or have worked closely as well with um, Jeff Belanger. Yes. Unfortunately, Jeff won't be at this one um, in the UK this year, but he will be Mm -hmm. in the States at Sage Paracon in the States in Virginia. Um, I adore Jeff. I've known him for years. He's the writer and researcher of Ghost Adventures as long as well as, I mean, pick a shock doc that's on Discovery or anything. You'll have Belanger on there. He's the world's foremost researcher of all things paranormal. So I did, I managed to sit down with him earlier this week, actually, and do an interview. Um, He is the best speaker ever. Yeah, it was, he's got a way of telling stories that it's sort of, you can just sit there and listen and nod along with him for hours on end. Um, Oh, yeah. But yeah, so I managed to interview him earlier this week. I've not yet edited or released that one, but that is in the pipeline as well. Okay. And yeah. Oh, I'll check that one out. He has got... Anything with Jeff is amazing. Yeah, like you say, he's got some incredible stories and it's just it's just great to listen to some of what he, you know, some of his views, some of his thoughts, that sort of thing. Um, I've been really lucky, you know, two of my biggest mentors in this field have been Jeff Belanger and John Zappas. Mm-hmm. You know, I've learned 
so much from the two of them um and, and you know other people as well like karen dolman is just incredible with all things ouija and the likes of calvin with all things occult mm -hmm. so i've been really lucky with the people that i've had the opportunity to work with over the years they've been great mentors they've been amazing and then i think the final thing that i sort of want to uh, touch on is obviously your book uh never goodbye only good night lessons from the afterlife that's it i, I think i wrote that one down that was slightly too much to remember <laughs> um obviously you released that late last year i did i started reading it probably a week ago i'm not as far through as i'd like to be at this point it's one of those okay. things of i pick it up i start reading it and then it's been like an hour and it feels like it's been about five minutes <laughs> it's one of those things it's just like it flies by while reading it because it is quite a obviously it's a very uh, good read thank you so much i appreciate that so i take it a lot of you know work went into that and it took you quite a long time to uh, put together it took six years and <clears throat> excuse me that was only because somebody when i wanted to write the book mm -hmm. somebody in the field uh that had been in this field for quite some time said to me what gives you the right to write a book what do you know do you have any research and information worth sharing? And it scared the hell out of me. I was like, oh my God, do I? Can I, is, is anyone going to read this crap? Is it, I mean, like, am I going to teach anyone anything? And I sat down and I thought about it for a really long time. And I thought, you know what? I've had so many experiences in my life that taught me so much. Mm -hmm. And whether it was a lesson from the afterlife, from a spirit guide or from a spirit at a location, or whether it was one of my very many mentors that I've had in this field, I've I've had some pretty cool experiences. And if somebody else can relate to that, maybe it's dealing with grief of losing a loved one. Or maybe it's how to develop their mediumship or where they should begin. Or figure out that they're not going mad. That's kind of how mediumship works or whatever the case is. You know, I thought, I just want to share my story. And if it helps one person, it's worth it. Cool. Um, so obviously that's available on Amazon. Uh, it, I will put a link in the description down below as well. Thank um, you very much. So the very final thing I want to ask is what's next for you? Obviously you've got power cons. You're working on another book, as you said. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, where do I start? This year is chaos. So I have, first and foremost, uh, my Patreon page. So I have a really nice little online tribe of people that I take on all my paranormal journeys with me. So you'll see that I don't share a lot of it on social media. It's because I put everything into Patreon and that's from blogs to road trips, any paranormal road trips. We do a monthly Zoom hangout. I do workshops with them every month. So from tarot reading to investigating different techniques, anything and everything. Um, also, any of the lectures from Sage Paracon online, the at-home Sage Paracon, any of those lectures from all the Sage Paracons at home are all on my Patreon page. So you've got lectures from the likes of Jeff Belanger and Calvin and Karen and all of them are on there. Um, yeah, so at the moment, I'm focusing a lot on that. I'm I'm creating a lot of content. Cool. And one of the main things I'm focusing on is investigating. So I just spent the night alone. <laughs> I was terrified. In a very haunted inn. So it's 11 bedrooms, the bar area, the restaurants, quite a big old place. And I was on my own overnight. And so I film all of those investigations and I put them on Patreon. And then what else? I've got Sage Paracon in the UK, end of October. Sage Paracon in America at Belgrove Plantation, which is the 29th of September to the 1st of October. I am hosting a 10-night paranormal holiday in New Orleans in May. I have a 10-night UK paranormal tour in July and another one in November. <laughs> um, oh, my goodness. I'm doing an investigation tour with Richard Estep 
in two weeks <laughs> down in Cornwall. Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. I've got some television stuff in the pipeline for production work and on screen. Cool. Um, there's a lot. I forget. I'm working on my next, the follow-up to Never Goodbye, Only Goodnight. Mm -hmm. I've started writing that already. Amazing. Going to Africa to do the Supernatural Africa book there. I think I'm in the States five or six times this year. Speaking at Michigan Paracon in August, at the end of August, which is the biggest paranormal convention in the world. It's slightly terrifying. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's nonstop. It's honestly, it's nonstop. There's there's way more. I just I can't think of all of it. <laughs> cool. No worries. Cool. So I think that brings us to the end of my questions. Um, unless there's anything you want to add. No, come and hang out on Patreon and, and find me on social media and drop me a message if you have any questions about all things paranormal i'm always happy to chat cool i'll, um, I'll put all your links down below um thank you so much cool. and yeah that brings us to the end so thank you so much for joining me thank you so much for having me on the show this was awesome i appreciate it. once again i'd like to give a big thank you to mj for joining me for this interview you can check out links to all of mj's socials as well as all relevant information in the description on the youtube version of this podcast you can also find links to the sage powercorn website as well as a link to MJ's book. For now, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Tepper's Paranormal Talking Point podcast. I've been Scott from Tepper's Paranormal, and I'll catch you in the next episode.